Well, we've been in a series the last few weeks looking at the songs of Christmas. Specifically, if you look at the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, you'll notice that it's almost a musical. We see at every turn what most scholars believe to be music. There's at least verse that appears in psalms, in the form of psalms, and very likely were sung. And we're going to continue looking at those today. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 in just a moment. Now, as you turn there, let me remind you that next weekend is Christmas. Next Sunday's Christmas, if you're not aware of that already, and we rejoice in that. Uh, remind you also that we have Christmas Eve services happening, five of them on Sunday, or rather Saturday, uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, they begin at 2 p.m., 4 p.m., 6 p.m., on the central campus at 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. We'll have also a live Christmas Eve service with music teaching everything live in the courts. And uh, then at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m., we have uh, two more wonderful services at the North Katy campus. Now, these are uh, family-friendly. All generations are here. They really are. They'll be a little bit shorter than normal, about 40, 45 minutes, a very brief devotion from me, I promise, moms and dads. And we'll sing, we'll light candles together, and we'll rejoice in the reason that we celebrate the incarnation. I can't wait to be with you, and I look forward to being a part of all five of those services. Be back and forth in the car, but I don't want to miss it any of them, so I can't wait what God's going to do. And yes, on Sunday morning, we'll gather for an 11 a.m. worship time together. It will not be identical to the Christmas Eve services. We'll rejoice together. We'll observe the Lord's Supper together. And again, that'll be all generations, a little bit shorter than normal, and uh, it should be a blessing. I hope you'll be with us. All right, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, and I have uh, wonderful news. We have a special guest reader for our passage today. And so I want to draw your attention to the screens right now. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. How about that? Who'd have thought a mainstream cartoon preaching the word of God, which tells you, you know, it's old. <laughs> what a blessing. Well, I want to hone in on two specific verses today that show the song of the angelic host. When the angelic host appeared in the, cloud, in the sky there at night, look at verses 13 and 14 again. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people 
he favors. This, this glory of God that's sung of in the heavens here, what is this? We, we talk all the time about the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, defining glory is pretty difficult. It's, it's sort of like trying to explain love or beauty or an Aggie football game. How do you do those things? And Aggies even have to admit, you have to be there to really understand, right? You have to experience it to know it. And, and, and so we see this picture of glory, of glory. How in the world do you unpack glory? Well, do you know the word glory appears in the Old and New Testament in the words, the iterations that are translated in the Hebrew and Greek there almost 400 times in the Bible. It carries the idea of weight or worth. Glory is an outward manifestation of an inward reality. When the Bible speaks of the glory of God, the Bible speaks of the presence of God in all of his splendor as he reveals himself to men. In other words, wherever God is, there is glory. Uh, just to, to uh, get in the weeds for just a moment, there's a difference between the holiness of God and the glory of God. The holiness of God refers to God's moral separation from everything and everyone else. The glory of God refers to God's majestic beauty and splendor, the excellence of his character. Dr. Wayne Grudem put it this way, the, the glory of God is the created brightness that surrounds the revelation of God himself. Isn't that awesome? So notice in verse 9 that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Somehow, God's glory revealed here was exposed as a great light. And incidentally, when you look through the scriptures, light and glory always go together. Think about, for example, the first chapter of John. Speaking of Jesus Christ, John uh, said in verse 4, his life was the light of men. Verse 5, he said, his light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. In verses 6 through 8, he's talking about John the Baptist coming, who was not the light but bore witness to the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives, it, uh, gives light to everyone who, uh, who is coming to the world. And then in verse 14, the crowning part of the passage, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, look, full of grace and truth. That's the glory of God, do you see? And we see the same duality in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. God is a glorious God. We celebrate this time because of the incarnation of God himself, where God's glory was once again revealed to his people. And if you will fully understand the magnitude of this song of the angelic host, it'll bless you this Christmas. May I share you two implications about the, or three rather, implications about the glory of God this Christmas. First of all, I want you to see in this song that God's glory is present. God's glory is a present glory. And by present, I don't mean in the present tense, but God's glory is has been brought near to us, has been brought close. It is present in our midst. I mean, God's glory has been revealed to be with us. The glory of God is not some far-off idea or concept. You look back at verse 14, it says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. This is really remarkable theology that the angels are proclaiming here because it would make sense that glory, the glory of God is in the highest heavens where, where God dwells. It's a sinless, holy, perfect place. 
But to have the glory of God manifest on this earth would require an intermediary because this is a broken world full of sinners like me. Do you see? And so there was an intermediary. That's the reason that is so significant. There's peace on earth to people he favors because of the glory of God. Now, listen. There's a really interesting manifestation of the glory of God found in the scriptures. Back when the Israelites are wandering the wilderness in the Old Testament, we see this strange phenomenon known as the glory cloud. It is the cloud of God's presence over the people at that time. In the daytime, uh, God would be with them in the form of a cloud. It shaded them from the killer heat. Wouldn't that be nice in the summers in Katy in West Houston? Wouldn't that be nice in October in Katy? Yeah. At night, that cloud would be fire. It enabled them to see where they were going. The desert at night is dark and cold. What was this cloud? It was the manifestation of God's presence. It was the Shekinah glory. Even more, that pillar and cloud wasn't just a gift that God had given them. This was the Lord himself in the presence of his people. Listen to Exodus chapter 13, 21. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. You see, the Lord went ahead of them in. This is God himself with his people. Now, we learn in, uh, later on that when the temple is there, God comes to reside in his glory in the Holy of Holies above the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. But we know from Ezekiel chapter 10 that the glory of God departed the temple at one time. Incidentally, when the second temple was built, uh, we don't have any indication that the glory of God returned. I don't think there was an Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. I think it was empty. Israel was longing to, to have the revealed glory once again, the presence of God. And now we see that this gift from the Lord comes and Jesus comes, God himself. But first, there's glory in the heavens. Do you see? In fact, God didn't have to reveal himself to us at all, did he? But he chose to do that because he loves us. We are, we are given these glimpses of the glory of God. All of us are. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. Have you ever uh, come across somebody who was very important or significant or famous and you didn't realize it until later on? Somebody said, you know who you were just talking to, that was that author. Uh, you were on the elevator, that guy was an actor, whatever. And you, oh, I, I had no idea. That, that so many people in Israel at the time missed the significance of the glory of God. And it happens the same today. Listen, we don't want to miss the wonder of the glory of God. The glory of God, because of the incarnation, is a present glory. Do you see? I want to show you something else. God's glory is also peaceful. Now listen, this is important. There's a difference between experiencing a peace from the absence of any problem or peace that is experienced because of victory won over a major threat. This is the latter. In other words, we're not experiencing peace. When, when Linus says, peace on earth, goodwill to men, which is translated a little more clearly in the translation I'm sharing, it, it's not the idea that some liberal theologians have tried to establish, well, that the reason that we're forgiven is because God just looked at sin and said, that's really no big deal. Ah, oh, shucks. No, that's not what happened at all. The scripture tells us the wages of sin, your sin and my sin, is death. And we were desperate to have somebody pay the payment on our behalf. And that's exactly why Jesus came. That's a big difference between just pretending like there's nothing. We had a major threat. 
but God purchased our peace. Do you see? Glory to God in the highest heaven, peace on earth to people he favors. Notice that it's reserved, this peace, for those who run to Jesus. Those who run to Jesus. That peace is available to all, but it's not automatic. It comes when we trust in Jesus, count on the grace of God. Do you see? That's really important. And it's one more important point about this particular part. When it says a heavenly host sings, most theologians believe that this is not an angelic choir like you saw in the preschool Christmas presentation. It's beautiful. This is not a choir. This is an army, an angelic army. Uh, the, the sky is flooded with an angelic host and army, and they are singing a peace. Do you see that paradox? God, through his might and his power, his justice and his grace, has purchased our peace. An army sings of peace. Now, there's a beautiful contrast of kingdoms buried here in the text. Uh, there was an archaeological find a few years ago that is known in that world as the Prini inscription, P-R-I-E-N-E. -E. If you want to do your own research, it dates to around 9 B.C., and when you see it, it doesn't look like much. But it's important to see, if this is 9 B.C., most scholars believe Jesus was born around 6 B.C., so about three years before that. The, the inscription is about Caesar Augustus, who, just like all the Caesars, was made into a deity because that gave him a little more power and influence, as you can imagine. And, and uh, it was said to be read on September 26th, Augustus' birthday. Now, listen to how the, the end of this inscription reads. Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even our anticipations, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings of the world that came by reason of him, which Asia resolved in Smyrna. Does that sound familiar? It says, though, God sent this angelic host to proclaim, you're not going to get peace through government or effort or philosophy or anything else. Nothing can bring peace to a person's heart but Jesus. And Jesus is coming. Jesus coming to this earth offers a peace that comes from our confidence in God regardless of circumstances. Isn't that awesome? The glory of God, because of the glory of God, you see the glory of God is present. The glory of God is peaceful. And I want you to see finally God's glory is pervasive. It's pervasive. In other words, there is no one outside the reach of God's glorious love. Now, to understand the significance of this announcement, we need to recognize the unlikelihood of the audience for which it is given. Look back at verse 8 with me, verses 8 and 9. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. These are obscure shepherds in the night doing their job, watching over their flocks. Why is that important? Because shepherds are at the bottom of the social ladder. You know, even today, incidentally, if you go to parts of the world where there are shepherds, commonly they're seen as the, the low man on the totem pole. And that was certainly the case in this time. It's a dirty job. And, and yet God chose to come to them. The gospel has redefined value. Isn't that good to know? It wouldn't surprise me at all if God had chosen these shepherds for another reason. 
Len and I have had the privilege of going to the shepherd's fields outside of Jerusalem near Bethlehem uh, many times. And near the site where the churches are built, you can look over the field, you can see what's there. There are the ruins of a pillar. It's known as the Migdal Eder or the Tower of the Flock. Now, incidentally, uh, it's believed that there were probably multiple towers surrounding Jerusalem. When you look at Micah, you get this idea. But the towers of the flock were significant. Why? Because they marked the area where shepherds would be abiding over the flocks for those sacrificial lambs that would take away the sins of the nation. They would have understood the significance of a sacrifice, a substitute coming. God coming in all his glory during this time. The gospel has redefined value. Do you see? I think of maybe the most famous verse in scripture, John 3, 16, and then verse 17. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his on and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen. This morning, there's probably some who walked in this room and you would say, if you were being honest, hey, I'm so grateful for the love of God, but I'm beyond that. You don't know where I've been, what I've done. He could not love me. Do you understand God loves you so much that he sent his son into the world? He didn't come here to condemn you. He came so that you might be saved. Forgiveness and grace is available to all. You know, if I was writing the script and I was gonna make a splashy announcement, I would have done it a little bit differently. You think of all the different varieties God could have used. Uh, God could have made his announcement in Rome, the center of government power. That would make sense. God could have made the birth announcement in Athens, the center of philosophical and educational power, human intellect. God could have even gone up the road about seven miles and made the announcement in, in Jerusalem, the center of religious vigor and zeal. But he chose a group of shepherds watching over these precious lambs who would then probably go on to be sacrificed. And this angelic host in all the Lord's glory proclaimed the God that was coming. Do you see? One last thing that we need to understand. Just a few miles north of these shepherd's fields in Jerusalem, 30 years later, Jesus would stand on the Temple Mount during the Feast of Dedication. Jesus was standing before the candelabras. Many of you are familiar with the, the, uh, the menorah and Hanukkah. It's the same time and season. Jesus, the glory of God, surrounded by a people who were longing for the glory of God so that God would work in their midst. He stood and said this in John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you see? Christ has come, and Jesus has become the glory cloud. If you want to take it to his end, Christ went to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sin. He rose from the grave. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts 2. And what happened? It appeared as tongues of fire. The glory of God came again, not upon the Holy of Holies, but on those who call on his name. We have access to the glory of God. It's no wonder that the scripture tells you, you are the light of the world. I pray we never forget it. Church, can we bow together for prayer? I wonder whether somebody walked in the door today, having never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, 
Maybe you thought uh, there, he was beyond reach or you were beyond reach. I pray that you'd recognize the truth of how much God loves you today and you'd come to Jesus. I wonder whether someone came in here facing some really challenging circumstances, difficulties in your life or someone you love is. And you need to know that we don't serve some far off God, but a glorious God who has come near. Would you respond to him? Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises in your word. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your glory. Lord, would you work in our hearts right now? Would you bring us to a place of decision? We ask this in Jesus' name.